Welcome to the Future Engineering Club podcast. My name is Jack Lomas and join me as I speak to some of the brightest minds in the built environment, hearing firsthand their experience building the future of our planet. For this episode, I'm super excited to be joined by Greg Lawton, CEO and co-founder at Nodes and Links, a project intelligence platform with all the tools you need to connect various parts of the project delivery process. From planning to risk and project management, Greg is an astrophysicist who spent the last seven years of his career in BAE Systems UK. He managed large defense programs worth over hundred million pounds, advised the board of directors on international strategy and owned key relationships with the UK government and Ministry of Defense. We dive straight into the role of AI in construction and the opportunity to leverage AI to shift the unit economics in an industry. Greg's so-called anti-commercial strategy which is his key to product-led growth, the one thing he would change if he went back to the start of his journey, how to get an organization bought into a transformation effort, the importance of building close, genuine relationships with customers, and lots more. One quick point before I pass over to Greg. If I may ask a favor, if you enjoy this episode, please consider giving it a share on LinkedIn and a follow on Spotify, as it would really help promote our conversation to others who might find it helpful. Now, let's pass over to Greg. So Nodes and Links is an automation platform for project controls and project schedulers. We only do two things. We automate a bunch of stuff that makes people's lives easier. And we do some advanced analytics that help make projects better. And my background is I was originally a physicist, then an engineer, then a project manager, did a lot with future tech and did a lot with adventure. You put future tech, project management and venture together in an environment that has been underinvested in terms of new technology provided and accessible by projects and you have a wealth of opportunity. So that is the whole back. Nice. So automation, making people's lives better. Automation also being a big buzzword at the minute. What does it mean in reality? So we're focusing on schedule automation right now. And if I take schedulers, apart from management and team management and context and things like that, I'm going to oversimplify, but there's four things to the core role. Create a plan, update a plan, analyze a plan, communicate. We automate 90% of all of the analysis. So it literally is just a click a button, everything's completed. And we're just getting on to automating communication, which is basically GPT. So in the summer, we're launching full GPT modules for planning, reporting, analytics, and questioning. How have you ended up with, with these very clear value propositions? What sort of journey have you gone through? over your sort of circa four years to, to come up with these specific use cases? So I'd say there's actually been three periods of the business. Period one is where me and my co-founder, Christos, who's a, he was a professor at a university studying algorithms to predict projects. My background is physics. Period one was we could bring some pretty advanced technology to projects here. And then period two was that's totally true, but actually. There's so much view and, and just work in the way of people being able to execute those high level insights. Do you know what? We could actually just make projects incredibly more efficient and people's lives a lot easier by just automating a lot of that goo out of the way in context. So it's like, I need to do S curve analysis, SPI analysis, trending analysis, change analysis, forensic analysis, path analysis, health analysis, and then I'll do optimizations. It's like, right, let's just take all that goo out of the way. And it's, it's almost the, you know, the analogy I'd use there is we were trying to tune the Formula One car and 
a huge number of planners were finding themselves having to figure out how to put on a wheel whilst the car was in motion. So it was like, let's do the bit and then we get to that. And then actually period three has actually been nothing to do with the product. It's accessibility of technology and pricing of technology and this kind of thing. So this year, Christos and I have the objective of just making all this new technology a complete commodity. Like I actually want to get full generative AI models, machine learning models, automation, everything. I want to get down to 50 bucks because then it's accessible to everybody. Like that is a zero barrier entry point for people to get this level, level of accessibility. And part of that's actually something we've recently done, which is where for the, for the very first time in this industry, you can actually just go on a website, put your email address, press a button, and you get access to every single piece of tech we've got for free. Greg, I want to just pick up on the point around reducing the barriers. I know complexity can take so many different forms when implementing change like this. How do you tackle friction across the organization, as well as then the wider enterprise transformation piece? I know that complexity can take so many different forms with organizational behavior and friction in the change process being quite a, a major proponent. Mm -hmm. With digital maturity varying quite significantly across projects, what's your approach to getting everyone bought in? And how do you approach the wider enterprise transformation piece? It's a good question. Approach the wider enterprise transformation piece, top down and bottom up at the same time, and approach the complexity of the kind of digital landscape by not approaching the complexity of the digital landscape. And that's actually a finding of complexity science, which my co-founder was a professor in. It was like one of these, well, if you want to do well in complex networks, obey the rules of complex networks by not trying to do a complex network, be a, a pathogen on the network. So to put that in context, rather than trying to sit there and devise the entire digital strategy of every single organization, and putting huge amounts of effort into doing that. What I've found is a much better way of going about it is just helping people do tasks. So if you think about, if you think about the economics of construction and you think about the economics of the prime contractors, almost all of the major costs in these companies are supplyable tab costs or labor. That's it. And labor is because they hire roles and roles have responsibilities and responsibilities are delivered by workflows. And workflows are made up of tasks. Just make people's lives easier by automating and enhancing tasks, stitch them into workflows that allow them to deliver their responsibilities and do the job faster. And do you know what? Intelligent people will figure the rest out. Now that comes into the top down and bottom up. So the bottom up is just giving people access to all of the tech without going through, you know, I actually did a calculation recently with a couple of my customers. So I was like, well, the last three pieces of software you bought, blah, blah, blah. And the amount of times they've sat in meetings and the hour that, that the per hour cost of the people that they had there and all of this, it was 35 grand to buy a 30 grand piece of software. So it's like, and it was four months before they got access to it. I'm like, come on, like imagine on your iPhone downloading an app and going, oh, can we have a call next Thursday? And it'd be four months to you if you're like, I don't want the app. I'm like bringing that, bringing that level of, it's just a full enterprise grade security, no cost to start with. Just go and see if you like it. What, what we found is just a load of people will do it and go, this is amazing. And then what happens is the people at the top go, I felt loads about this nodes and links thing. What is it? And they'll and I'll go, well, it's this. And you know, we can structure it like this. And this is, 
this is just my personal views on IT strategy across the patch and what you should be thinking, but it's totally up to you. And then again, intelligent people figure it out after that. Yeah, I've seen that very much in use cases over the years. What is the role of sort of data readiness in the adoption of your Nodalinks platform? How dependent are you on, say, projects having their data up to scratch? Is there much sort of customer success implementation support required? At, or have you built a product that can take data in any form? No, the whole goal of the company is to create butlers. I, I like, maybe I've got a bit of a grand view of myself, but I'm thinking, why do I have to do anything? Like I am that 15 year old nulky teenager. Why do I have to do everything? Why can't I just have a piece of AI or a, or a machine to do it for me? Like, I just want to honestly go for a run, eat chocolate, sit on a couch, spend time with my wife. So what we're trying to do is to build all of these butlers for people on the project. So then you bring it round to the data front. We started in scheduling because for 99% of the projects, the schedule is a contractual deliverable. No, it's not perfect. I don't need it to be perfect because people are doing the analysis on it anyway. So if you're automating all of the stuff that people are doing anyway, that just takes a lot of time and is, is very little value add until you get to the top end of the analysis in the comments and the forecasting and things like that. Like it doesn't matter. So our system is as simple as you put your email in, you press enter. You go to your email and say, yes, this is secure because if you're uploading secure data, it has to be, well, drag and drop the data, analyzes it. There's nothing really more to it than that. I'm really interested in your commercial strategy. So you mentioned that you now give the platform away for free, essentially for the trials on your website, thinking about some of your sort of major projects, major contracts, et cetera. Would you typically get priced into the bids alongside the traditional project management tools? Yes, but only because people tell me that we've been putting bids. Like this is one of the starting points. Like enterprise sales is all about, well, if I want to, if I want a million dollar contract, I better be put into the bid up front and all of this. I don't care. Have it for free. Pay me if you want. Put it in your bid if you want or you don't. I don't really mind. I just care if the person turns up on Monday, goes, oh, I have to work for 10 hours today doing this. Oh, actually I could do it in seven. It's all I care about really. Like. It's almost an anti-commercial strategy. From seeing the evolution of your platform, it, it very much sort of feels like you're now targeting almost the market share of big players like Oracle, Print, Vera, and Microsoft Project. Do you agree with that? Is that a fair representation of the, the type of... Well, what do you mean by targeting the market share of? Those are, those, both of those are inputs to our system. So by what, what, I'm, what, what we're not doing is replacing the databases that people have. So we're not replacing P6 or Microsoft Project or Aster. What people do is they try and do analysis on something that was designed as a database that later on got some basic analytics added in as a second thought, or they download the data, stick it into Excel, and then try and do some graphs with Excel or Power BI, and it takes them forever. And Excel is a, is a linear database system, not something that's there to display interconnected data which is what complexity is like networks. That's what a Gantt chart is. It's an interconnected network. So it's just simply going, okay, well, instead of trying to do all of that analysis manually, how about you just drag and drop and we just do it for you in about seven seconds. I'll give you an example. There was one project I was talking to earlier this week and they had to, every two weeks, they have to do an update on the 103 key milestones in their project and they have to produce a critical path for those. Pretty simple, actually. Like you just click a couple of buttons in P6 and stuff. 
it would take someone about seven to eight hours to produce all of those every two weeks. Why? Why? Just automate that. Like, tell you what, just have it. Have it in five minutes and then read over them. And, you know, we'll even include how it's changed and just get a highlighter and go, I want to talk about these three. Like, it's that level of just ridiculousness of work that I want to get rid of. Now you can add on to the back of that. Okay, so what do these people do once you've done that? Amazing. How about you do some acceleration or risk analysis or AI forecasting, which comes back to the first thing, which is actually the value adding thing. And it's, it's really interesting to hear you talk about that because I, I watched your entrepreneur first pitch from mm. years ago. And I mean, I'm sure it's been quite a whirlwind ever since. If you could go back to that pitch with the next four years ahead of you, would you change any of the major company decisions that you've made following that point? Of course I would. <laughs> yes, of course I would. So. I set out with this as the guiding theme, make projects better, make people's day, make their lives better. Like lines is a bit grand, just literally make that working day, the eight hours they spend at work, make that better and easier. And when we set out, we were thinking of this in terms of the analytics and product, but I hadn't been thinking about how people access that technology and how they can like, like the whole procurement cycles and all of this kind of stuff. And I just think it's. For some elements, it makes sense because once you get, once you know, once you start spending quarter of a million, half a million a year, you want to talk to someone. When you're spending like $100, 2000 like $500 a month, that kind of thing, you just want to be left alone. Like you don't want to sit through a 30 grand procurement and all of this kind of stuff. And I would have started that way sooner. Like basically what I'm trying to say is make people's lives better extends to everything to do with the job you're trying to solve, not just intricacies of the software itself. Does that depend on a, a large element of, of relationship building with your clients and essentially sort of like strong marketing? So they, they understand your vision, they understand that you care about them and that you're not just trying to flip them a product. Does, does that element help or is it simply a case of delivering a clear value proposition? Being clear is important. Marketing and sales disguise is a shit product. And the product is ultimately what delivers the value. I have very, very close relationships with a lot of our customers, but because they wanted to have a relationship, not because I forced a relationship on them to sell. And I let our product speak first. Like I said, have it for free. Go at it. If you want it, have it. If you don't, even send me some hate mail. I don't mind. Like, let the product speak for itself. Those two things. And if you think about, right, what, what's the opposite of those things? Well, the opposite of letting the product speak for itself is doing lots and lots of sales presentations about the benefits of doing a certain approach and trying to garner a huge amount of stakeholder buy-in to the benefits case that you're slowly building up over time, blah, blah, blah. And the opposite of the, the second element, which is the letting people have relationships with you is hard selling, trying to push relationships and trying to like constantly trying to connect in a very salesy, pushy way. I'm pretty sure if I go lots of sales presentations in a salesy, pushy way, you could probably name a couple of companies. And when you, when you put the product in front of folks, you very much let the product do the talking. I think the value proposition behind your, your platform is, is very clear. What examples 
do you see where people just don't quite get it, don't quite understand why automation, et cetera, is needed? It's only happened twice, actually. The two times it's happened is when the organization is so immature in the project management, they're basically just an engineering organization. And I won't name and shame, but it essentially it was cost reimbursable, linear engineering. They didn't really care about delivering to time and cost and that kind of thing. They didn't have a planning department, even though they were trying to hire planners and this kind of stuff. And the, because that's the specific bit that we automate was planning. And then the other component is where it was such a comfortable government project environment that it was, it was, it was more important to keep people employed than it was to actually deliver a project. That was actually the goal was just to find employment for people. Those are very few and far between are those two. The every, and what do you think engineering consultants need to do to be able to sort of evolve into these effective planning based organizations of the future? Well, I think actually it's, it's not just planets. It's a, an actual realization of where the world is now. Now, if you go back to my, the vision, I wanted to have a name like Butler, everyone in the PMO. And if you take those four elements of just planning, you've got create schedules, which is literally less than 1% of people's time. You have update schedules, about 20%. You have analyze schedules, which is about 20%. And you have communicate, which is the rest, 59%. We, Christos and I knew like when we started four years ago, the tech wasn't there yet to do all of that butlering. Well, it is now, GPT and things. And based on all the conversations I've had with project directors and heads of planning in the last couple of months, this is like the core statement that I'd pull out, which is AI won't replace your job, but a person using AI will replace you because I can be 10 times more productive than you. I can write 16 presentations in a day and I can analyze a hundred thousand lines of schedule and find every single opportunity in it within three hours. And I can write a report for every single one of our subcontractors in 16 minutes. Like I can just outperform anybody who sits there typing in those very specific activities. So that, if you ask me the question, how do engineering organizations kind of get forward in planning, I'd actually say. How do engineering organizations adopt machine workers into that workforce? That's how I'd be thinking about it. I'm like, okay, I hire 50,000 humans. What would the world look like if I hired a million robots to serve those humans? Question mark. And I'm sure you and I could go for hours on every single job that would be changed in that company. Just, just put in just a couple of them, put in machine learning from data, take. Okay. Planning, cost, contracts, every engineering, everything, generative language, AI, every report, every email that's ever written, you know, every customer outreach sales teams are using it now to do actually do all of the outreach and, and all of, all of this, every data, slow data processing job, every data input, reading from a page and typing it in, Scan it, it does it. I don't need to do it. I just import these 10,000 documents, enter every job. It's incredible to think about, isn't it? And I think for the world of engineering in particular, because it's so rules-based in the way that projects are designed and delivered. So I think it just offers such a ripe opportunity for automation at every step along the way. 
And it then turns to a case of, okay, how can we bring the people with it? You're right. So if we think back in the history of humanity, every major advancement has been because of an increase in human productivity or a defense against an absolute threat. Defense against absolute threat is things like penicillin. But it is an increase in human productivity because suddenly all the people who would have died are living and doing things. And an increase in human productivity is everything from the fishing net. You and me are in a river. I've got to know you've got your hands. Let's go. Let's see in 10 minutes who can get the most. All the way to, we're in an office with a nice tie and shirt. I've got generative AI. You've got your fingers. Let's go. The same level of human productivity is just a productivity increase. And it's just control of new tools. They're just new tools. A, fi a fishing net is just a tool. A hammer is a tool. And all of this AI is just a tool. And yes, you're right. I'd, I'd say the bringing people with is something that senior management need to think about. But the thing that senior management should be thinking about is how do I revolutionize the unit economics of the job I have to do? So I'm delivering a 10x more improved service for the customers that I have. That's the flip I put on it. It's a really important point. There are some really big decisions that need to be made at a senior management level in some of the major consultants and contractors around the world. What type of organization do we want to be and how are we going to make use of these new capabilities? Otherwise, they're going to be left behind. I'll leave you with one thing, which is a conversation I had this morning with one of our customers. And they asked the same question. They were like, well, how do you think all of this, this change will impact? And this is in the light of Microsoft releasing GPT into Word, Excel, PowerPoint, Power BI in the summer. We're releasing all of it, planning, et cetera. And I said this, if you look at banking, the average spend on IT is about 3%. The average spend on IT in construction is about 0.2 to 0.5%. What you're going to get is an increase in IT budgets of 10 times, and you're going to get companies who can outwork everybody else. And I said this exact example, let's take bidding. The approach of many contractors to bidding is you pick the few you think you're going to win and you throw all your eggs in those baskets. Cool. Well, how about I get Generative AI, take every single bid I've ever written over time in, take in every single requirement, understand it, and produce a pack that then I can start to amend. It cuts my workload to bid by 50%. And I still put my A team on all the ones I want to win. And then I get that other, that generative piece of AI to write a bid to every contract ever released within minutes and submitted within minutes to Network Rail, to Highways England, to transport for London, to the US army, just, just, just do them for less than 10 cents. And let's just see what sticks to the wall. So the value proposition for consultants, et cetera, makes sense. But do you think that that's net positive for the industry? In what way? In terms of, do you think that the industry and the end customers benefit from the increased opportunity for consultants? So I guess sort of spray and pray on the designs and the proposals that are being put forward for, for national critical infrastructure. Very complex question. Yes, all of this is going to be good because projects will get better and people, people will have to work less to get the same result. In terms of client, client challenge, who's to say that clients can't use AI to read all of those and then delete all the ones that they don't want to see. I actually got asked this question a couple of weeks ago from a, a university academic that was like, oh, like we're in a really bad spot now because 
students are using AI to write their essays. And I was like, why does that put you in a bad spot? So like, how do, how do we grade these things? And I was like, wait, what you're trying to do as an academic, what you're trying to do is you're trying to impart knowledge and then you're trying to make sure that the effort has been put in by the student to understand and appreciate that knowledge. Your test is to get them to do exams and write things. Just change the damn test. Instead of getting them to write things, have them stand in front of a camera and they actually have to pitch everything they've learned and do all of this. And do you know what? You can use AI to grade them. Like, just flip it on its head. It's time for evolution, isn't it? Yeah, like I said to that person this morning, I was like, this is, this is a generation that will make billionaires. And the billionaires that will be made are the people who understand the unit economic shift in production of their specific industry. So for example, I, I get pitch decks through from companies. I saw one that's using generative AI to do a lot of the grunt work of legal preparation. Obvious. Yep. I'll tell you what, let's do accounting. I tell you what, why don't we do a, like a Google search engine for every piece of information on SharePoint, generative AI that just learns your SharePoint. There's in, there's so many of these, like instructions, no different. Greg, thank you so much for your time. You've been listening to the Future Engineering Club podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. I really hope you found it interesting. And with that, I'll leave you to it. Stay tuned for next week's episode, where we'll be diving into later stage climate tech investments. Thanks and goodbye.